How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to episode three on the rise. Today is December 14th. Uh, hopefully, everybody in college is having a winter break. If you're in high school, you are almost there. It's so close. But uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, I had a little bit of delay last week, but I'm back with a new episode. And we have a new special guest to help us out with that. Uh, if you guys don't know him on the MLW Discord, I'm sure. Uh, the Pittsburgh Wolf of All scene is familiar with this guy. His name is Luke Stukas. He joins us on the pod. How's it going, man? You are live on the rise. It's going pretty good. I'm excited to talk about some Wolf ball with you. Oh, definitely, for sure, man. Uh, we've probably been, you know, talking about this stuff since uh, May, and obviously I've started uh, in Baldwin all the way back. We had talks about making a league ourselves, but uh, – you know, things haven't really worked out recently because uh, Andrew kind of skipped on us. Yeah. Honestly, I've even been thinking, hey, if SCW falls through, I might try and join Baldwin. Hey, man, that's always a good sign because uh, especially with the breaking news that we got up uh, coming up soon, we're probably going to need, uh, you know, another guy. It's always good to get more players in. But uh, let's talk about Baldwin for a little bit because I got some breaking insider news from the commissioner himself. Uh, this probably is rumors, so I don't expect anybody to really like, you know, take this to heart, but the 2020 BWO champions, the seahorses, they may be one of the two teams that will dissolve for, uh, the 2022 season. Uh, Obviously, with the whole contraction of the league going from eight teams to six, I kind of wanted your thoughts already because, you know, you uh, had one of those questions about the Seahorses, you know, possibly getting better. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of – or you could even see on Baldwin's Instagram and, like, the results from the games, and there were a lot of um, just problems with attendance and them having to forfeit games late in the season and that you can't sustain a team with only a couple people, especially with Baldwin, like some leagues, you don't have to have that many, but really you need your full team to perform. And if you don't have that, then there's going to be some league contraction, like you said, and just there's not. Oh, they need to have their full team and them not having that they're going to be subject to maybe one of those teams that gets like, um, I guess kicked out yeah, in I'm favor sure. of some of the other teams, maybe like the black bears, the bats, or just any of the other more premier teams in BWL. Yeah. To mention that, you know, we don't really know much about the story. Um, I've tried reaching out to Colin in the past few weeks I've even tried to get him on the podcast, but, uh, you know, obviously, you know, people are busy. Uh, commitments happen that are out of their control. Uh, there's not much they can really do, but I don't think, you know, because, because the seahorses aren't a team anymore, doesn't mean uh, I don't think Collins going to like, you know, just leave the league without any further notice. Like, I think we saw this, uh, Last year with Tyler Gerchak, you know, because he was the captain of the Tiger Swans in 2020. 
he would later get drafted uh, by the same team that was rebranded into the Thunder. And, you know, Joey Shields is the captain. They ended up making the playoffs that year. So, you know, obviously this is not set in stone. I don't want I don't want people to, like, you know, uh, get angry about all this certain stuff because we kind of don't really know what's going to happen until winter meetings. But uh, now that you mentioned it, man, the Black Bears, they're in a really good position for next year. They are in a really good position. I'm just trying to find um, just their results from last season. Like, they – okay, here. Semi-final. Um, oh, yeah. For the, for the Black Bears, I could probably give you some information on that because uh, I believe Aaron Exler was the captain then. And originally he was supposed to play summer ball in Carolina. He ended up coming back up. Uh, you know, they had – a bunch of different names like Ben Paco. He was probably up there uh, and a bunch of other different uh, names that are kind of escaping me at the moment. Uh, let's see if I can scroll fast enough. Yeah, they definitely had a – yeah, Jeremy Nowakowski is the captain. So we got uh, people like Andrew Govash, Ben Popko, uh, even Ray Thomas that were uh, – definitely stalwarts of the team and you had Aaron Exler in for a little bit but you know obviously Jeremy man he's got to be in a good position to probably go for a Jake Monroe or possibly even Bryce Chapel in the draft so everybody throughout there just you know keep an eye open on these teams coming up uh, there's definitely a chance that he could get a uh, Jake Monroe that would be a great pickup for him I think if he got Jake that would be just again an amazing pickup and i feel like that could project them super far and even winning the championship oh i'm sure man uh black bears you know i think i think in 2020 they were in the playoffs back when there was only six teams obviously they definitely want to get back and you know in this league where we have 20 to 30 run games uh that's just very very common in this league and you know if you have a good set of arms like you could end up being the 2021 bandits were just, they were just so deadly in the middle of the season. So, uh, you know, I'm excited, man. Uh, I'm, I'm just starting to wonder, uh, it, could there possibly be any expansion teams that might replace the seahorses at some point, or we could at least try to get it back up to like seven or eight teams. Um, judging by where the league is right now, I think expansion is, going to happen at some point whether that's three years down the road or five or maybe even longer i feel like at some point the league is going to be big enough where they will have to expand again to fit all of those players to have to let them be on a team and actually get them playing time instead of just riding the bench for any other like championship contender or any bottom feeder team yeah absolutely like i talked with Austin about this a lot on the last episode and uh BWL right now we have like 48 players so that's like almost 10 more players than MLW has and even some of the rosters are pretty bloated so um obviously you know five players to an active roster that makes a lot of sense uh everybody's playing at the same time but uh you know 
at some point, you know, I don't know if you are somebody like the Firebirds or like the Thunder. You have so many players on that team. And it's just a matter of, you know, can I trust these players to actually be available? And it gets to the point, like, where we might have discussions of having, like, reserve slots on our team. Yeah, that's the only thing. Like, you just got to make sure all your players are present and that if they're not, well, you're going to struggle, even if you have, like, maybe your third guy or maybe a secondary pitcher. Like, you need all of your players to be there. You can't just rely on one star player to carry the rest of your team. This is a team game. It's a team effort. You need everyone there. Yeah, definitely, for sure. I think, uh, you know, Baldwin, Wolf Ball, they have a lot to really think about going into year three. Um, you know, I might even be down there for uh, winter meetings myself since, you know, technically I run the podcast and uh, I'm going to try to do a little bit more on the uh, social media video aspect of everything. So, obviously – to the BWL fans out there, once I get some more information about everything, I'm probably going to be sure to relay that in one of these episodes, how maybe we'll get one of the BWL managers on. Uh, I just have to reach out to them. But, you know, overall, this is kind of an interesting situation. Mm. All right. Just uh, give us one minute. We're going to be going to our ad break. Don't go anywhere. How's it going, everybody? Before we get into the rest of this episode, I want to talk about the sponsor for the On the Rise podcast, Baldwin Wiffleball League. Baldwin Wiffleball is Pittsburgh's most rapidly growing Wiffleball League and now entering season three. That's right, season three of action for 2022. Founded in May 2020, the league is an avenue for friends from Baldwin, Whitehall, Thomas Jefferson, North Allegheny, and elsewhere to come together for Sunday night games during the summer with 10 weeks of regular season action. This all comes to fruition with the championship series and the banquet to celebrate the season. Guys, this is a league that is on the rise, no pun intended, and we are definitely looking to expand into the future. If you guys are interested or want to join this league, please reach out to Commissioner at Austin Bechtold. And if you guys want to follow their Instagram account, they are at Baldwin Wiffleball, all lowercase. Also, if you guys want to subscribe to their YouTube, we're looking to put more videos like the 2021 draft up on that site. So search up Baldwin Wiffleball and you'll find it in your tab. All right, let's get back to the pod. All right, we're back. Uh, sorry about that ad break. That was a little bit long, but uh, we are going into our main event sort of. It's not really Baldwin Wiffleball related right now just because, you know, we don't have a lot at the moment. But we do have something coming up with the MLW Awards show that happens annually. Um, last year, I guess you could say it was kind of weird, I guess, because Chris Sheetham ended up winning like three different awards, including the MVP. I, <laughs> I'm still kind of shocked by that, you know, because – uh, really, they were talking about like all the different categories and such, and it was, you know, it was more structured than last time, I guess. But uh, we're gonna be uh going through all the different categories. Uh, Luke and I will be providing our predictions. Uh, be sure 
if you guys are on Spotify to uh, leave some comments down below. Who do you think should be uh, getting these awards? And, uh, you know, stay tuned to On The Rise. We'll probably have a bunch of other predictions like this one. So uh, let's get started with Manager of the Year. Uh, this has been a really interesting one, I believe. It started back in uh, 2016. And uh, overall, uh, it kind of follows a specific format. So, Luke, I kind of want your opinion on Manager of the Year. Who you got for that? Um, assuming that Gavin Noreski has... I guess, distance himself from the Diamondbacks organization. I'd say Jimmy Norp is the top candidate considering his pickup or not even, well, he picked up um, Joni Heath last year. Now he wouldn't have won it last year, but his pickup of Michael Shima, Mr. Game winner, game winning hit in the World Series that brought them the championship, it was able to draft him or I could be wrong. Was it Norp or Noreski that drafted Shima? Uh, it was Norp. They had okay. that Livonia connection. Yeah. They got that connection, and it seemed to work out, and it brought them a championship. So with that, that is my manager of the year prediction. Yeah, man. I, I definitely think, you know, you can definitely continue this pattern. Um I believe there's a quite a few managers who kind of fit this billing. Uh, obviously not Tommy Coughlin, God forbid that. But uh, you know how we we could see a two time winner in Jack Agner because uh, you know he had that trade uh, with the Mallers to get Trevor Bonham and it ended up putting them in a much better position in the playoffs. But uh, I mean, you know, you can't really. Uh, compare managers that much in this league. I know, like in the past, uh, we talk about, um, you know, MOB managers, and obviously they don't really uh, do much in terms of, like, you know, actually benefiting the team other than maybe setting everything up. But, you know, MLW is kind of unique in how they're one and the same. So, uh, Overall, man, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see who the manager of the year is. Uh, let's talk about most clutch next. Um, I'll give my opinion on this because I know this is something that's probably not popular. And this guy is probably not popular anyway, but I'm going to say uh, Drew Davis of the Coastal Cobras. I mean, that's a great pick. Drew having that huge outing in the opening day series, especially that game two home run, that just, that I'm guessing that was one of your main reasons why you put him in that spot. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, you know, Drew Davis, uh, although we like to give him a lot of flack for, uh, you know, kind of not making the most wise decisions. Uh, he's act- He actually had some pretty good stats for himself. And, you know, overall, like, throughout the whole year, he kind of carried the – or rather the Cobras into a position where uh, they actually made the playoffs for the first time in a while. Like, he had 3-12 with 10 home runs and 22 RBIs. If that weren't for Norman Saylor, that would have been an MVP season, would you think? Yeah. 
it was a very good season by Drew Davis, a good bounce back, maybe prove it season for him just to show the fans that, Hey, he's not just this arrogant player. He's actually a top player in the league. Oh, for sure, man. Uh, obviously I don't want to really go on too many tangents, but, uh, the Cobras are in a tough situation too, because, you know, obviously Baranowski's taking a while to develop. You have Gus, who shows flashes of greatness, but you don't really play him. Yeah. Um, and then they also have the third pick of the draft, man. Do you think the Cobras could, like, make it back to the World Series at some point? Or do you think they're always going to be so close, but they're not good enough to, you know, get over the Wildcats or the Magic? I mean, hey, the AL is stacked, though. I will bring back that draft um, pick. So the thing is, I don't know if the draft classes can keep being as good as they have been with the 2020 and 2021 classes. Mm. But, I mean, they do have the third pick. There's only two people ahead of them. I think they could get a very good player. It's just decide. It's just up to Drew to pick the right guy, which I don't know if he'll be able to do that considering there was a chance to get better players, yet he chose Brendan Baranowski. I mean, hey, we'll just see if it's if Drew makes the right pick in the draft. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard to uh, be sort of like a devil's advocate for the draft picks, especially with 2021 this year, because you didn't have that winter league. So you couldn't physically look at a talent and say, hey, that's who I want. But, you know... 2022 is going to have a more uh, flexible draft structure than ever because not only do you have the tournaments, they're probably going to bring the winter league back. So you have those people to choose from. And, you know, overall, uh, obviously, we said that Caden Irwin was going to be a five-star prospect, and uh, he did not do so well. So, you know, it's just – Prospects are just prospects, really. It's how you kind of evaluate them. I hope they can actually develop into a solid MOW player, but uh, I'm sure for the BWL teams, it's probably the same way. Uh, Let's talk about most dedicated for a little bit. Um, Man, this most dedicated slot is pretty weird for me because, you know, I kind of have it down to two people. It's really either Alec Water or Jack Agner. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I haven't put too much thought in this, but now that I think about it, I think Jack is the right answer. He made, he went to Kyle, made that move for Bonham. It paid off. He's been helping out with like I know he did a um, one of the IG lives. There's probably other stuff that he does off the field that we don't see, which is the thing with this award. You don't really see a lot of the stuff that they do. So it's kind of hard to judge. It's more of a vote within the league kind of award, but I think Jack is the right decision for this award. Right. And it helps that uh, he's now the second host on the pipe of the podcast with uh, Tommy Coughlin. Shout out, pipe it up. Uh, They just released their, uh, 75th episode earlier today. <laughs> Stukas with the Tommy Coughlin jersey. Oh, man. Hopefully they can uh, actually come up to Pittsburgh so, uh, you know, um, we can show these guys what's up. But, uh, that would be yeah, insane. man, I agree. Jack Agner is probably the best fit for this role. But uh, one thing that 
is going to be a hard world if it is most improved. Uh, we've had this discussion a lot recently. Uh, Chris Cheatham, for some reason, saying he got most improved because he improved during the season, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, when we think about players who got this real war, it's like uh, Brendan Russell, for instance, back in uh, 2018. Hell, Rachel Coughlin was most improved twice. Um, who do you think really fits in this category? Uh, I saw a clear winner for me, and that man is Brendan Zerlag. He had a big jump. Even if you look back from his rookie season in 2019, like before he came in, he was the top prospect in the AAA league, but that was also the AAA league. <laughs> and then going into 2019, he got absolutely shelled, just not a great player and got that top draft pick kind of got carried a little bit during the 2020 season. He did show flashes, but Jorge and Cheatham really helped him out there. And then the 2021 season, he really just came into his own, was a contributing part of that team. While they didn't make it very far in the playoffs, he still showed that he is a solid player now and that he had a very big resurgence in 2021. Oh yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Brendan's still young. Uh, he's probably like, what, 17 now? So uh, he's definitely around the same age as some of the other rookies in this 2021 class. And, you know, I feel like, you know, this is probably not going to be the end of Zerlag. This is probably not the last we're going to see him. And, uh, you know, obviously, I'm not good at hot takes. You saw my one take on uh, MLW Network where uh, – I pretty much just flubbed the next category we have on this list. But, uh, you know, I can definitely see Zerlag possibly being an MVP level type player in this league. It's just hard right now because, you know, uh, Sailor, North, they're probably in their early 20s uh, or late teens. So they probably already reached their peak already and Zerlag hasn't done yet. So it's going to be interesting, man. I'm excited to see what this kid does. I mean, yeah, if this is the start of Brendan Zerlag, I can't wait to see where he goes. I mean, I don't know if he's up for the MVP yet, but if he improves his pitching to a decent level, then I think he could be in that race. Yeah, man, that's going to be fun, especially with three pitchers. Like, you're you're just asking for <laughs> people to just get uh, rolled over by your team. So I'm excited for that. Uh Let's go into rookie of the year next. Uh, do I do I really have to say who the rookie of the year winner is? I feel like no, we already I know. I don't. I don't think you do. Okay. Jeez, because like, I mean, if we're being honest here, it's probably going to be Dallas Allen. Like, it's it's not even close, and it's just like you know, we talk about Baranowski and Irwin not living up to the potential, and uh. Obviously, I saw AJ Play's video about, you know, grading all the different rookies. He definitely had Dallas Allen high up on the list, and I definitely agree. I mean, his pitching was probably the best out of everybody in the draft class. And uh, although he did show uh, that he can hit every once in a while, you know, we're still waiting on that bat to develop. But, uh, yeah, just give me your thoughts overall on this draft class and, uh, you know, what what what's going on like we haven't seen as many impact 
Mac players from that class in 2021 this year. I mean, yeah, it was a great draft class from top to bottom, except maybe Caden Irwin. But, like, you got, like, the later guys like Michael Shima and then the early guys. But right in the middle being Dallas Allen, he was probably the most balanced player all year he could hit. He could definitely pitch that one, like, Donkey Kong-esque breaking ball, <laughs> that, like, slurve. That was insane. I'm still trying to learn that to this day, oh, so you God. better watch out. But that was just a great throw. And just – Dallas Allen overall, just a great player, really helped the Eagles, I guess, not fall this year as, like, Dan struggled a little bit early in the season, came back. But, like, Dallas Allen saved and helped the Eagles a lot in 2021. Oh, definitely, I'm sure. And, like, I give Daniel Schultz a lot of flack for the Eagles because he's kind of one of those managers that kind of tends to just hold on the players, like, even if they're not really productive anymore, like playing Price and Neil Smith, I understand that, you know, they didn't have Allen in that uh, Oklahoma series, which definitely hurt their playoff chances a lot, but it just gets to a point where you can't really even play them anymore. And like, I know the Eagles ended up getting Blade Walker with a fifth pick. We don't really know what we're seeing from him yet because uh, obviously he had baseball commitments going on during the season, but you know, it, it, in that one series versus the Gators, he actually did really well. Hell, if he played the whole season, I thought he definitely would have been better than Dallas Allen, but we just don't know yet. You know what I mean? That's the thing with these rookies. A lot of them have small sample sizes, so we can't really see like what their full potential is like Blake Walker, even Gus. Like, you just got to get more playing time for these rookies to see what they're all about. And even, like, with the Eagles, like, I know Max Tomalka last year, he didn't play a lot. He wasn't very good. But also, again, he didn't play a lot. So I think maybe if they were able to play him more and maybe give him more chances, then he would have done a little bit better to maybe stay on the Eagles roster. And, again, with the Eagles, like, you can't – like, Dan can't keep – Waylon and like all his buddies around just because they're his friends like talent will pass them up in this league and he needs that like new wave of the younger players Dallas and Blade to keep his team in contention for the World Series right I I I don't think Waylon can be one of the guys that shipped off he actually had some pretty good performances uh, especially like during the Oklahoma series and I think maybe the Mallard series too but uh, obviously, you know, this Eagles roster is huge, uh, especially with players like Grant Smith, Josh Lucier on reserves. Uh, if they're looking to get more guys, which uh, I believe they're going to have the number four pick in this draft, you know, they're going to have to make some uh, tough choices uh, in the upcoming offseason. But uh, we're going to have to wait and see on that. Uh, Let's talk about Gold Glove a little bit. Um, obviously, we know some players who don't deserve the Gold Glove. We know some <laughs> players. Uh, you this know, man, Tommy Coughlin. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. The Wildcat series. Oh, no. Yeah, unfortunately. But, you know, in Wiffle Bowl, we don't really talk about fielding a lot. But, you know, if we're looking at, like, a team that generally does fielding well, I'd say probably the Diamondbacks. Like, even the World Series, they didn't make one error 
that whole series. And uh, really, I had gold glove uh, for Jonah Heath. Do you, do you have any other ideas who could possibly be on this list? I would have to agree with you. The Diamondbacks are my like number one team for gold glove. Just And more specifically, if we're talking about a player, Jimmy Norb made so many great plays this year that it's hard to pick anyone else for the award. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we talk about MLW in 2021, we had so many plays that were so close to being gold glove level. And for some reason, they just ended up batting it in or they couldn't hang on. It didn't matter. Like, it, what the plays that immediately come to my mind are like players like Austin Ford, Brendan Baranowski, oh, wow. saving that one thing and crashing through the wall. Jonah um, Heath, even. Yeah, Jason Chadwick going through the left field monster. Uh, in that oh, over yeah. I thought he caught it for a second. Honestly, I was like, no, he did not. But he, he, he actually caught it. It was it was crazy, man. But uh, just, there are just so many good plays, and it's like with like you just got to see like I mean maybe whoever has the most top ten plays maybe puts them ahead in the voting or just whatever. But we'll just have to see what happens with those awards. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, it's not really all about, you know, just making the top 10 plays. It's just being consistent. And I think there's quite a few players that could be consistent, but, you know, we just don't really see that. So, you know, we don't, we, we're not going to know what the Gold Glove Award is going to be until the award show. Uh, however, we probably do know who's going to be the Silver Slugger. Uh, it's got to be uh, Nick Saylor, probably. I, kind of thought about giving the Jimmy Norp too, but, you know, after looking at this whole league, it's been a really, really offensive year. And I feel like it could go to multiple people, don't you think? I mean, it could. It's just – I mean, personally, I still think Jimmy is going to get it. But, yeah, there are a lot of great plays from a lot of different people this year that could give them the award. Just personally, I think Jimmy's going to win it. Ugh. Yeah, this is probably one of the ones where I kind of disagree because, like, Nick Saylor, man, he was close to getting the Triple Crown because I think at one point he almost led in all three categories. I know Jimmy Norp and uh, Nick Saylor have been close in averages along with Kyle Schultz. But uh, um, I think Nick Saylor, man, he's – you know, we don't really, you know, give him a lot of uh, respect in terms of, like, awards – Cause like hell, if it weren't for Chris Cheatham last year, I definitely think Nick Saylor could have been the MVP of 2020, and he still could be in 2021. But we'll get into that. But you know, I feel like Nick Saylor, he deserves to be a two-time Silver Slugger award because it just seems like no matter what pitching you throw at him, he's always just gonna crush it. Like he's got good uh, bat-to-ball accuracy, so. Overall, man, what, what are your thoughts on this stuff? Like, it can you really like pinpoint one guy as a silver slugger? I don't think you really can. I mean, there was a very close race for the triple crown this year. Even like, I think what Norp and Sailor were up there, correct? Definitely. I think yeah, Norp. I think Norp's only issue was that he was about 0.3 behind the league average and batting average. Mm. So he missed out there, but 
apart from that, they both had really good seasons. It's going to be very close in between Taylor and North. I just don't know who's going to win it. Yeah, man. As always, man, I, I don't know who's, who this host is for the award show. Last year, it was Tommy Coughlin. If it's Jack Agner or Gus, I'm going to be really surprised by that. Maybe even Drew Davis. But, uh, you know, let's just hope uh, – Everything goes well and isn't as controversial as it was last year. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, speaking of, let's get into our Cy Young debate. Um, what do we really see for Cy Young? I'm trying to think. It's just, again, there are so many good pitchers in this league. One person I will say that I can count out, sadly, Daniel Schultz. Just that one season, not the one season, the one series against the Diamondbacks, that was just, oh, no. Yeah. Just not great. And, like, that really took him out. Like, you need to be consistent all year, and that one series just absolutely killed him for stuff. Someone else who definitely does not deserve <laughs> the Cy Young, Mr. Tommy Coughlin. I'm pretty sure he pitched 1.2 innings and had a 34.5 ERA. You can check that, but I'm pretty sure it's in yeah. the 30s for ERA. Yeah, yeah 34.7 ERA, I believe. It's abysmal. Oh, that, no. that is worse than Liam Jackson's, and his was up at, like, yeah. 16. So, obviously, I think, like, pitching in this league are, like, on two extremes. Either you're really, really good, or you just can't hit the zone whatsoever. <laughs> that one clip where uh, – Jack Agner was on the mound oh. with the 18 run gamers of the Wildcats. He literally just spiked it into the ground. Spiked it into the ground. Oh, uh, that that was great. And then Kelly just absolutely dying. I would have been too, honestly. <laughs> that was hilarious. But yeah, yeah I, I also agree. There is a very big skill gap in pitching in this league. Like you have the Kyles and like the Jimmy Norps, or then you have the Liam Jacksons and just either. You can or you cannot hit it. There's really no in-between that I can think of, of people who are like semi. Well, actually, one person, Drew Davis. If he's on, then he's K-ing up the zone. But if he's off, he's just walking in countless runs. So it's just a very big skill gap with maybe a couple people in the middle for pitching. But, yeah. If there's one player I have on my list probably for Cy Young, and uh, this might be a shocker to some people, but I definitely think it's got to go to Trevor Bonham. Like, hmm. this, the man led in case and ERA for a little bit. Like, he made Ryan Cratch's uh, strikeout rack record last year look completely unnecessary because dude was just hitting everything. I mean, we, we can talk all this time about uh, Trevor Bonham possibly being the most improved too, but, like, you know, if he was good enough to the point where he did end up getting a move to the Magic and could possibly be their ace of the future, man, I'm just I'm just curious to see if everything's going to work out for him. I mean, he really helped out that Mallards team early in the season, just trying to help really help himself out on the mound, like more of a Jacob deGrom scenario, just trying to K as many people as he can and then try and get around at plate but it really didn't happen for the Mallards this year yeah and just 
with Bonham, like he has such a good, like even just his riser, like it's so fast, but it doesn't go over the limit. Like maybe like a Dan or a Ryan Cratch. He just has that nice little sweet spot where he can just K up the zone and not worry about any like speed warning checks or anything like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I know obviously Ryan Cratch, you know, he's one of those guys that was affected by the speed limit the most. Cause he could throw fast and it had a lot of movement, but if you take the speed off, it doesn't really do anything, but I kind of want your opinion on this stuff. Like has the speed limit really affected how pitchers throw an MLW now, or is it just, you know, sort of something the players can easily adjust to? I think it depends player to player because as you know, Ryan Cratch is a college pitcher. There was a video posted on it. MLW's Instagram that he can throw his slider about 92 miles an hour and now having to take that down about 20 miles an hour just being that's just brutal for him but I don't think most of these players are throwing much or super high over the speed limit so I don't think it affects the majority of them but maybe like the high tier baseball pitchers are affected by this because they're used to throwing baseball so much faster than they throw this and having to adjust to that is critical for them but for the vast majority of everyone else I don't think it matters too much yeah for sure and like we talk about the mounds of plate distance it's only like what 38 feet away like (laughs) if you're throwing a 92 mile per hour slider from that it probably looks about 130 to those batters, man. So, uh, you know, Cy Young is going to be pretty close too. Uh, I feel like it can go in any direction. But the final uh, category, the MVP, we probably know who's it going to be, right? Yeah, it's got to be Jimmy Norp. I actually have a couple, couple of stats here. Let me find it easily has to be Jimmy Nork. He was unstoppable throughout this year, especially that one moment where he goes, should have walked me after he hit a home run. This year, he was fourth in batting average, and he tied for first in home runs. Just an unbelievable season. And don't even get me started about him on the mound. Just a great overall performance from Jimmy this year. And I don't think there's really anything close besides maybe Nick Saylor, but I think it's going to go to Jimmy. Yeah, man, dude's an absolute freak of nature. Like, he is probably one of the more interesting Wolf of All players I've ever seen in my life. Like, you you look at this kid and, and, like, you see all the unorthodox stuff he does. Obviously, you know, he doesn't have a baseball background, but put him on a Wolf of All field, like, he just kills absolutely everything. I mean, uh. Obviously, I had the discussion uh, myself on episode one. Uh, does it get to the point where we kind of see a passing of the torch, sort of, between Kyle Schultz and Jimmy Norp for the face of MLW? I don't even know if that will happen. I mean, Kyle's still going to be invested in the league even whenever he does retire. But, I mean, Jimmy is looks like he's going to be a premier player for the rest of his career or at least most of it, whenever that may end. Oh, for sure, man. I just, you know, you don't really see players like him every single day. It's just 
I mean, when, when you're in your second year in the league and you go from, you know, just playing wiffle ball for fun to going to the winter league to ending up on TBS with Ernie Johnson and Pedro Martinez, like this is a guy that is transcending wiffle ball right now. He came from absolute, absolutely nowhere is now just dominating everything. It's just, you know, uh, I am really curious to see how long uh, Norb's career ends up. We could probably see him, you know, going into 2023, 2024, and still be at the same level he is now. So, uh, overall, man, this is going to be a crazy 2022 season. Uh, all these players are good. We don't we don't know what players are going to be coming up in 2022, right? So you could have the next Jimmy Norp somewhere in that draft class. We don't there's a really big possibility for that, but I don't think it's going to be as immediate as Jimmy Norp. Like he shot onto the scene. It was incredible. But with this next draft class, we'll just have to see what kind of prospects we get if we get a bunch of pitchers, if we get a bunch of hitters, or if we get some two-way players, perhaps or maybe just some raw prospects that need time to develop. We'll just have to wait and see to see what happens in this draft class. Yeah, man. I, I can definitely make connections to BWL too, because like obviously the first player that comes to mind when I think of Jimmy Norp is Bryce Chapel of the Bandits. Because, you know, he shot on in 2020 because he was a midseason uh, pickup for, I believe, the Bulls during the 2020 season. Uh Obviously, in 2021, he went to the Bandits third overall. Obviously, you have Jake Monroe up there, who's really, really good as well. So we didn't really expect much of him, especially since he came in during the middle of the season. But if I'm looking at a guy that is really close to Jimmy Norp and is in this Pittsburgh area, I'd say it's Bryce. You have to look out for that kid because, you know, if the Seahorses do leave and the Black Bears get the first overall pick, Oh my God, they're they're probably going to be ending up uh, winning the championship right there because you got Jeremy Novakowski and Bryce Chapler who just a one-two combo of death. So I'm going to be excited for that. But uh, this has been a crazy episode, man. Thanks for having, me. thanks for uh, coming on such short notice. Uh, thanks for having me on this. This was a really fun time. Yeah, of course. Uh, just go ahead and plug your socials if you want. Uh, I got an Instagram, Luke, S-T-U-K-13. Uh, I got a TikTok. It's Stukas 6 I don't post on there often, but there might be some new content. And our Kyle's Wiffleball League, scw.wiffleball on Instagram. Looking to start our season May 2022. Oh, definitely, man. If I can get another captain for uh, that other team that Andrew left, then, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe we'll make it happen. But, uh, yeah, man, I I'm excited for this Wiffle Ball season coming up in 2022. Uh, I'm sure you guys at home are as well. Uh, obviously, thanks for jumping on the On the Rise podcast on a uh, uh, little bit of a hiatus right now. Finals were tough. But as always, I'm Kyle Wagner. You can follow me at one Kyle Wagner underscore on Instagram. 
Uh, you can follow Baldwin on the rise. They have an Instagram as well at Baldwin on the rise. And don't forget, follow us on anchor.fm and also follow us on Spotify. We're going to be having episodes every Wednesday. Turn on those notifications so you don't miss out on a single episode we have. This off season is going to be insane. And uh, I'm excited to see what we do on these next episodes. So as always, I'm Kyle Wagner. See you around. Here's the outro.